الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ومن آياته أن خلق لكم من أنفسكم أزواجا لتسكنوا إليها وجعل بينكم مودة ورحمة إن في ذلك لعاية لقوم يتفكرون my dear respected, most honorable elders, beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. First of all, we humbly begin by thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by glorifying and praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us with this unique opportunity to congregate in His house, to worship Him, to glorify Him. To send salutations upon his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa and we pray that Allah azza wa jal will continue to facilitate such opportunities for us in the future. We're extremely fortunate to be here, we're extremely fortunate to have, uh, to be in our faculties uh, for all of the blessings and the bounties that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with, uh, to be in one of his houses worshipping, worshipping him and remembering him on the best of days, Yamul Jum'ah, <coughs> and we should continually thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, for such opportunities. This week, uh, I'm going to start a series of, um, of, of, of Jum'ah khutbahs on a particular topic. Uh, in the previous couple of weeks, in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about children and the importance of raising children and raising them in the right way. Uh, in the society, in the day and age that we live in, it's becoming increasingly difficult to uh, imbue uh, and inculcate within them uh, the traditions uh, of Islam and the religion of Islam, uh, the tenets of Islam, the fundamentals of the faith. And we've been discussing how we can find sort of tenable solutions for some of the uh, problems that young Muslims are facing uh, here in the UK in 2019. Today, inshallah, I want to talk about another issue that not only young people, but people of uh, people who are older uh, <coughs> in, in, in general have been facing throughout, uh, throughout the last sort of 20 or 30 years. And statistics are showing that this is an issue that that is becoming or is in a, in a way spiraling out of control. And it's an issue in relation to, to marriage and the sanctity of marriage which has become, which I've noticed in the last sort of 20, 25, 30 years, the sanctity of marriage has become almost uh, non-existent. People don't really uh, view marriage as being that important anymore. People don't see marriage as being that uh, significant within their lives anymore. The Prophet and our religion are explicit with regards to the obligation of marriage in and of itself. And today, inshallah, uh, we'll be talking about the obligation of marriage in Islam, uh, uh, how uh, Islam informs us how we must select our spouses, what criteria we must use, um, what Islam says in terms of maintaining those marriages and inshallah over the next couple of weeks We're going to discuss the maintenance of the marriage uh, itself 
and, 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 and the general logistics of it. So today, inshallah, I'm going to focus on, on, on marriage as an obligation. Marriage, its importance and significance in Muslim life. Why we mustn't delay it too much. Why, the Prophet, why did the Prophet wasallam say, get married young? Why did the Prophet wasallam say that this, it's a completion of half of your faith? Fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the other half. Inshallah, we're going to be discussing that today. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the first thing for us to understand is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created men and women as company for one another. So that they can procreate and live in peace and harmony and tranquility in accordance with the commandments of Allah and the directions of, the, of His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa In the verse that I quoted before you in my khutbah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and of his signs is that he, is, he has created from, uh, for you from yourselves mates, azwaja, partners. Why? So that you may find tranquility within them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made or placed between you affection and mercy. And indeed, in this there are signs for people who, who ponder and for people who reflect. So this is just one verse of the many verses of the Quran that discuss or talk about marriage. So the first fundamental basis of marriage, one that we have to understand, is that first of all, marriage is between a man and a woman. This is according to our religion. This is according to our tradition. And it's always going to be so. Right? Um, the purposes of marriage are to procreate and to have children, to, to live in tranquility, to live in harmony, to ensure that um, the uh, creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this humanity, continues to evolve and continues to spread, continues to grow. And in these are signs for people who were, to, who, who were to ponder. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed between you love and affection. So a marriage is not only about just procreating, it's also about finding that tranquility within your partner, within that mate that you have. In, in regards to the obligation of marriage in Islam, according to Imam Abu Hanifa, and listen to this very carefully, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Imam Malik ibn Anas, Malik, uh, marriage is recommendatory, right? is recommended that one must get married. However, in certain individuals, it becomes an obligation. Imam al-Shafi'i considered it to be a nafal, a supererogatory uh, form of, of worship or, or, or merely mubah, permissible. The general opinion, however, in accordance to all four of the madhahib, is that if a person, male or female, fears that he or she uh, if if he, he or she will not get married, then they're, gonna, they're going to be tempted to, to fornicate or tempted to do something wrong. Then marriage becomes wajib, marriage becomes an obligation uh, upon them. If a person has a strong, uh, strong desires or strong urges, then also it becomes wajib for that person to get married. And the verses of the Quran in relation to marriage clearly show that in contrast to other religions like Christianity and, and Buddhism and, and Judaism, where, which consider celibacy or monasticism as a great virtue, as a means of closeness and, 
and, and, and proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Islam considers marriage and getting married um, and, and fulfilling those desires in, in the appropriate way, curbing those desires in the best possible way as one of the most virtuous and approved institutions. So there's the Prophet ﷺ was explicit in this, لا رحبانية في الإسلام There's no monasticism in Islam. In order for you to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in order for you to be closer in proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be more of a, an abid, a worshipper, you know, you don't need to completely neglect this institution of marriage for you to reach that. Whereas previously in, in, in Judaism, in, in, you can look into other religions like Buddhism, Judaism and, and Christianity, priests are encouraged not to get married in order for them to f have their sole focus in worshipping their Lord. And this is not in Islam. In Islam, you know that, that relationship between our Lord and His creation is a very fine line, there's a fine line between it. And we have uh, ibadat and mu'amalat, and they're not completely distinct from one another. Worshipping and general uh, things, general interactions with human beings. In some cases, our general interactions with human beings are also a form of worship. We spoke about last week how um, showing love to your parents, honoring your parents is a form of worship. How taking care of your children, raising them in the right way, is a form of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in exactly the same way, getting married for the right reasons, and getting married to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to curb your own desires, to find a mate لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا so that you may live with them in tranquility and in peace as the Qur'an says, this is a commandment and fulfilling it as a commandment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one of the uh, greatest forms of worship in Islam. The Prophet sallallahu in another hadith in regards to his obligation said, Oh young men, whoever from among you is able to get married, then he should get married. If you've got the ability, the capability to get married, then get married. Don't delay this, this, this institution, don't delay in doing something that is good. In another hadith, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he spoke about modesty and how haya is, is half of iman, is half of faith. And then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, nikah min sunnati faman raghiba an sunnati falaysa minni. That nikah is from my sunnah, whoever deviates from my sunnah, he's not from me. So whoever considers marriage as as uh, an institution that is not important or a tradition that the Prophet ﷺ didn't encourage, he's not following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, this is a part of my life, this is a part of my sunnah. And whoever deviates from my sunnah, he is not from among us. Another thing that we have to understand when it comes to the obligation of marriage is that in Islam, the family is the nucleus of Islamic society, and marriage is the only way to bring families into existence. Even though nowadays it's becoming more and more common to have families and to have children outside of wedlock, Islam encourages uh, that, that, that relationship to be present within the family before a child or before children are brought into this world. And the Sharia prescribes certain rules and regulations uh, to regulate the functioning of the family so that both of the spouses can live together in mawaddatan wa rahma, in peace and tranquility and in harmony. The Prophet ﷺ also said that when a man marries, he completes half of his faith. 
This can reply to both of the spouses. For the, for the woman also, when the woman gets married, she also completes half of her faith. And the Prophet Sallallahu said, so let him fear Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for the remaining half. And this is, again, these are just some of the ahadith I've narrated to you with regards to, I've related to you with regards to uh, the importance of this institution in Islam and why Islam encourages uh, its, its, uh, its followers to get married and to get married uh, uh, young. And this is what I want to discuss next. That although we as Muslims, we agree, all of us, unanimously, that marriage is an institution that Islam places a great deal of importance. We all agree on that. Nobody disagrees with that. Uh, we all agree that at one point in time, we should, we, we're supposed to get married. Right? We're supposed to fulfill our sort of destiny in getting married. We all agree on that. Nobody, dis nobody disagrees with that. However, the part that we disagree on is the age of when to get married. And some would say, oh, well, you know, um, uh, we have different concepts of, of, of what marriage is. Oh, well, you know, we put certain restrictions on our marriage, or when I, I have this amount of, or a certain amount of money, or when I have my own house, and when I'm ready, I'm going to delay it until, you know, I find the perfect partner. And I put all of these conditions that it becomes almost impossible to find that person who's going to fulfill all of those conditions. So we delayed and we delayed until now we find that people are not getting married at a young age. People are getting married almost into uh, middle age. People are getting married over the age of 30, 40 years old in some cases. And what that, de what that then does is that those individuals, when they go through their youth, the temptations are, are even more. And especially in the environment and in the society that we live in, it's an extremely sexualized society. Extremely sexualized. So more and more young people are being encouraged to be promiscuous. Even in schools, they don't teach you, uh, you know, Islam tells us that to not have any types of relations with women before we get married. Islam teaches us that. In order for us to have relations with women, we have to be married and then have relationships with our wives. However, um, uh, in, in, in the society and the communities that we live in, that's not the case. Even as children as young as, as 12 and 13, when they're taught biology in schools, when they're taught classes in, of citizenships and other lessons, they're taught how to have safe sex. They're taught that yes, you can be, be as promiscuous as you want, it's fine, but just be safe and ensure that you don't have children. So this is something that we need to address and we need to look at. And we need to find tenable solutions for some of these problems that, that young people are facing. And that's why it's incredibly important that we ensure that the, our children, as parents, we have a right, we have certain rights and obligations over them. And one of those rights and obligations is that we have to ensure that we take that opportunity of, of getting our children married and trying to find uh, the best spouses for them and find them when they're young. So that they don't fall into temptation. It's your job, it's our job, and it's our duty to protect their chastity. Is it not? You know, it's not, uh, we don't, you know, and, 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 and something that we have to understand as parents is that we have to find that fine line. We can't 
completely restrict and limit our children and control everything about their lives and not give them a single moment of freedom, we can't do that. Because that's going to want them to break, they're going to want to break away. They can't live under those conditions. It's, uh, it's illogical to expect them to live under those type of conditions. On the other hand, we, we shouldn't not curtail their freedoms whatsoever and give them the freedom to express themselves and do whatever they want. Go ahead. Now you have a responsibility over them, so curtail some of their freedoms. When you have this opportunity, ensure that you teach them in the right way. You know, I, I came across a parent once, right? Um, who, uh, whose, whose child had, 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 had died of, of, of an overdose. And he was, he was only uh, 14, 15 years old at the time when he died of, the, of, of an overdose. And, and it was an incredibly sad situation. And what he said was, the mistake that I made is that I didn't want to... Uh, I, I grew up. When I grew up, my, I was severely restricted and limited in what I could do, what I could say. My parents were very, very strict on me. And at the time, I couldn't understand that they were trying to protect me in their own way. They were trying to protect me from the evils of society. They were trying to protect me from doing something wrong and making mistakes. But I always felt that, you know, mistakes are what make us human. And I'm going to make my mistakes and then I'm going to learn from them. So I decided that when I'm going to have children, I'm not going to place those restrictions on them. I'm not going to be strict on them. I'm going to allow them the freedom to express themselves in the way that they choose. And once they make their mistakes, they're going to learn from them themselves. So when I knew that my, uh, my son, he was, um, uh, he was starting to take drugs and he was smoking cannabis, and I allowed that to happen, I tried to teach him about it in the right way that I thought was the right way. But I didn't restrict him. I didn't take away his freedoms. I didn't place restrictions on him and limitations on him. I allowed him to make his mistakes. And eventually he was at a party once where um, a drug which, which, which was a lot stronger was, was being passed around. And he ingested that drug and he overdosed from it and he passed away. And now I look back and I think of, of, of what my responsibility, I, I, I think and I feel that I fell as my, in my responsibilities to, towards my child. And in a way, as much as I feel sorry for that person, that is undeniably true. That we fail in our responsibilities to our children when we don't curtail some of their freedoms. So we have to find that fine line in being strict and being completely um, open and telling them to do whatever they want. We still have that control over them when they're children. So we have to be logical and try and find that fine line. And the same thing when it comes to marriage. So when you see that your child, you know, it's, it's illogical. You, you have to look at the day and age that you live in. You can't get your child married at the age of 14. First of all, it's illegal. Right? Secondly, nowadays, 14, Perhaps you have to look at the society that you live in is not 14, 50 years ago. It's not 14, 30 years ago. It certainly isn't 14, 100 years ago. So 14 is a lot younger of an age now. And you have to consider that. You have to consider the ages of your children. So when they reach the age of maturity and they continue to mature, continue to nurture them, and then when they reach an age where it's legal for them to get married, start thinking about it, and then, 
When you feel like it's the right age now, it could possibly be when they're still teenagers at the age of 19. It could possibly be when they're 20, 21, when you feel that they've matured enough and they're ready to take that step. Then start looking, actively looking for a spouse for them. Don't delay it too much. Don't delay it until your children are, you know, are grown adults and they've had the opportunities to be promiscuous and make mistakes and get into relationships. And then it's going to become increasingly difficult. What you're doing is basically you're opening up the doors for them to allow them to, to, to be immoral uh, and to, uh, to um, indulge in their desires. In terms of, of, of and I, I want to go through this very quickly, we've got about five, five or ten minutes left. In terms of our selection for our spouses and, and choosing our spouses, that's something that needs to change too, right? Prior, in our societies and in the communities which we live in, in our tradition, in our culture, in, in, in Islam, every culture is somewhat different, whatever from, it depends on what part of the world you're from, in terms of the selection of the spouse, what is desired, what is, is, is considered desirable that people find, and then they base their selection of their spouse on that particular desire. But what did the Prophet sallallahu say in order to, when you get married, what should you base your um, marriage on and the reasons why you should get married and the reasons why you should choose that particular partner that you're choosing? The Prophet sallallahu gave us uh, a clear indication in a hadith where he said that a woman is married for four things, her wealth, her family status, her beauty and her religion. But you should marry the religious woman, otherwise you will be from among the losers. The Prophet ﷺ said. So the Prophet ﷺ informed us explicitly that taqwa should take precedence over anything else. You know, nowadays in a, we live in the day and age where people are looking at, at material things. People are looking at a person's wealth, or if that person's wealthy enough, or if that person's good looking enough, if that person's social status is, is, is high enough. <clears throat> and all of these things, are, these potentials, can, if, if they are taken away, and they can be taken away at any moment, then the reasons, <coughs> excuse me, the reasons for your marriage, they completely crumble, crumble, don't they? So a person may be attractive to you today, and there may be that physical attraction, and all you have is that, if you're going just by that physical attraction, then that physical attraction may fade because beauty fades as time goes on. Then what do you have left to fall back on? If you based your entire marriage on just the physical attraction between you and your spouse. Or perhaps you based it on money. That my spouse is rich and I'm going to live a comfortable existence. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be able to spend as much money as I can. I'm going to be able to buy whatever I want. If you base your marriage solely on that, then know that it's money. It's a fickle thing. Today it's here, tomorrow it could be gone. And if you base your marriage solely on that, then what do you have to fall back on? Nothing. And suddenly the marriage dissipates, so people begin to, to, to feel like they're drifting apart. And eventually sometimes it ends up in divorce. And inshallah, we're going to quickly talk about that too. Another thing that we're doing more and more, which is becoming more and more common, is that we're placing, and I mentioned this at the start of the khutbah, we're placing too many conditions. <coughs> we're saying, I'm only going to get married to a certain individual who fulfills all of this, 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 this criteria, who fulfills all of these conditions. And the conditions are as if you're looking for a hur from Jannah. You're looking for someone who's, 
who's, who's absolutely perfect in every way. Or the woman is looking for a man who is completely ma'asum and uh, he's, he's the best in absolutely everything. You know, I'm going to get married to someone who has, you know, who has money, who has wealth, who has this, who has that, who has, who's, 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 uh, who's muttaqi, who's pious too, who's praying his salawat. You know, sometimes we have to look at and we have to be realistic in terms of our conditions. This is why when you look at the marriages that the Prophet ﷺ conducted, the Prophet ﷺ looked at compatibility between the spouses. He didn't look at uh, whether they're from the same status or social status. He didn't think, oh, well, you know what? This is uh, a leading family from among the Quraysh and it's their daughter. Therefore, I need to find for them another leading family from among the Quraysh so they're of the same social stature. No, he never thought of that. Tribalism wasn't a factor when it came to performing marriage. In fact, you'll find this, and, and this is something that we, we're guilty of as Muslims. Sometimes I feel that even though we, we talk about how Islam, and it's absolutely true, that Islam is, is the least racist religion, right? There's no, um, there's no uh, race or tribalism in faith because the Prophet ﷺ completely came to wipe that out. And we, fee, we see that Islam was a religion. The Prophet ﷺ said, I've been sent for all of the people. He's a rahmah for all of mankind, for all of creation. That includes people of different races, people of different nationalities, all come together as part of this one beautiful faith. However, when it comes to marriage, we find something different. We find that different, different cultures and different traditions approach it in a different way. They want their child or they want themselves to get married to someone who is of the same color as them or is of the same tribe as them. The same, well, tribe for the Arabs, the Hijazi Arabs of the 6th and 7th century. But for us, our tribalism is, is a nationality. Someone who's the same nationality is with, uh, as us. Or someone who's from the same sort of um, cultural background as us. Who speaks the same language as us. And that's a form of, of, of racism too. When we don't allow, we don't, we're, not, we're not basing marriage upon, or the institution of marriage upon this, the main thing, the fundamental basis, which the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, which was taqwa, piety. How common are interracial marriages? Far too uncommon they are, interracial marriages. And we're extremely, I feel like somewhat, we're somewhat racist in a way that we don't, we feel like, uh, you know, if, 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 a, if a Muslim marries another Muslim, but both Muslims are of different colors, then we see that as something which is weird or something that, that our religion doesn't encourage. However, if you look at the life of the Prophet wasallam, you'll find many interracial marriages. You'll find so many um, uh, marriages that people wouldn't, prior to the, uh, the Prophet wasallam, uh, even have considered. Zayd ibn Haritha, radiyallahu ta'ala an, a companion of the Prophet wasallam, who was, who was uh, uh, previously a slave, he got married to Zaynab bin Jahsh, a lady, one of the ladies from the leading ladies of the Quraysh. You find interracial marriages. Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu ta'ala an, who was from Abyssinia, who was a former slave. Sayyidina Bilal married the sister of Abdurrahman ibn Auf. Abdurrahman ibn Auf was one of the richest and most wealthiest uh, Arabs 
in Arabia. One of the leading families of the Quraysh, the, the Ibn Awfs were. And Sayyidina Bilal got married to, to his sister. The Prophet looked at compatibility between the, the spouses as opposed to social status and, and wealth and money and color and creed. That didn't really matter to the Prophet Compatibility was the most important thing. And these marriages were successful. These marriages were successful. So the Prophet knew the qualities of, of the men and women and he sought to um, marry them on behalf of, of those qualities. And in the process, he was, he was taking a step in dismantling those ideas of the, that tribal chauvinism that people have of the Hijazi Arabs, that they considered themselves to be superior over others. And if you have this understanding, or if you have this mentality, that, that your child or members of your family <coughs> excuse me, are only going to get married to, to people of, this, of, of the same ilk, people of the same race, people of the same color, the same tribe, then you're, you're, you're falling into that same thing that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam tried to outlaw 1400 or so years ago. Deprioritize tribal affiliation or nationality and social class in favor of spiritual value. That's the most important thing. Look at taqwa. Look at the compatibility between the spouses. Um, and, and the last things that I want to mention very quickly um, before we pray our salah is that, of course, it need not be mentioned, but there's no, uh, there's no forcing when it comes to marriage in Islam. There's no such thing, though. There should not be any such thing as forced marriages uh, in Islam. Because the Prophet ﷺ completely outlawed it. A woman once came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, Ya Rasulullah, my father is forcing me to marry his, uh, his nephew. He's wanting me to marry his nephew and I don't want it. And the Prophet ﷺ declared her nikah to be batil. Right? Her declared to be outlawed. He outlawed that, that marriage completely. And then the, she turned to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, I have no problems in getting married to him, but I wanted to show the women that you have a choice when it comes to your own marriage. You have a choice when it comes to your marriage. That, that applies to both men and women. Your children, they have a choice. Don't neglect them in that. Right? Don't take away their choice from them. Because ultimately, they're going to live with that person. They need to have that choice. So use understanding and sensitivity. Um, and the last thing that I want to mention, something that's becoming very, very common, is uh, uh, marriages being conducted in secret. Right? Um, people are getting married only to f solely to fulfill their urges and their desires uh, in secret over a short period of time for, for a short while and then getting divorced thereafter. That has absolutely no basis in our religion whatsoever. Marriage is supposed to be a commitment. Um, the walima was supposed to, is, is, is an Islamic tradition to announce the marriage to the people so that people understand that this is your wife. So they see you out in public. They know you're not doing anything wrong. You're not with somebody who you don't know who is not a mahram for you. Do you understand? So uh, that's something that we need to, uh, to understand. And if we look at our communities and the societies that we live in, the societies where marriage is becoming less and less common, those societies are becoming more and more sexually repressed. You look at, um, I, I was reading, and I, get, and I gave this in a khutbah um, uh, a while back, that uh, in terms of, uh, of viewing uh, pornography, Muslim countries where uh, marriage, marriage rates are dropping are, are, are the highest number of, uh, of, of, they have the highest number of viewership of, 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 uh, of pornography on the internet. 
And, and, and there's a correlation there. there. There has to be a correlation between those two things. Marriage is becoming more and more expensive, uh, more and more uncommon, and uh, people are becoming more and more sexually repressed because of the society and the community that we live in is becoming quite sexualized. So we have to counter those problems and find ways. And, and the best way is to fall back on the sunnah of the Prophet get married as early as you possibly can. Take away that temptation uh, f uh, from yourselves and from among your children. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me a new tawfiq and the ability to act upon the teachings of the Quran and the noble sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa akhirul da'wana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.